0: Welcome to the Church of Mabus Radio Show. It's Friday night. It's seven oh five PM Central. Got Wham here with us tonight up in Hudson Valley. Hey, and uh, of course I'm in Florida. And let me tell you, those storms that just came through here—if that was. You know, we always talk about the Ragnarok Fimble winter situation, the Norse situation. That was close. <laughs> that was like, was it close? It was freezing outside with tornado warnings at the same time. Like, I've never experienced that in the winter ever. <laughs> so, I mean, we've been getting 30s and 40s here in Florida where I'm at. I'm up in the panhandle uh, near Panama City Beach. And uh, it was crazy, but uh, definitely uh, luckily, uh, The power only went out once, not for very long, but a lot of people had it a lot worse than I did, and prayers to them. Some of them are still in shelters and stuff, but I went through Hurricane Michael, and that really sucked, but it reminds you of that when this kind of stuff happens. This wasn't as bad as Hurricane Michael, but it was still bad. The weirdest part is just, like, winter. Like, I'm not used to it. It's like a a winter craziness in Florida that I've never seen before, so but uh, other than that, I tried to enjoy it, but was always worried about the power and electricity going off and all that crap because of work and everything. So, but luckily we survived it and, uh, we live on. Uh, last week was, uh, Eric's, uh, Grimsrud. Uh, that was a Nostradamus Mabus show, uh, about the quatrains where he, uh, has some pretty convincing things that somehow he thinks Trump Trump means Mabus. He basically thinks Trump is the, the Antichrist, which I'm sure a lot of people may agree or disagree with that. But it was a good show. And this week, I'm very excited to have Neil Donald Walsh return. Uh, the book is a Common Sentience, God Talk, Experiences of Humanity's Connections with a Higher Power. And I've been reading Conversations with God Uh, for a long time and i've also said that on many levels they kind of kept me out of trouble and it was something to go to and uh when my father passed away when i was younger at 17 uh, it was well it was 18 or 19. at 17 i went through testicular cancer and went through chemo and uh all that stuff and then a year or two later my dad died and That was, and I went through a divorce and uh, started to have a lot of weird synchronicities and spiritual experiences, what some would call paranormal experiences. And during that time, you know, I, uh, in my 20s and above, had read, you know, conversations with God. And I grew up Christian. My father was a, a preacher. Went to Raven Gaff in North Georgia, some kind of crazy military weird thing where they somehow were messing with like venom for snakes to be immune craziness in Georgia, religious wise. So this was, you know, a a, a version of God that I felt comfortable with that when I read those books, I and I still read them. I have the meditation books. I have the new book. I'm always trying to read them and take it in on some level. I even had my mom YouTube and Neil the last few days, she's 70 and she was watching all your videos and, and loving it. But anytime I read it, I get goosebumps and that usually tells me that something's, you know, true. Something's right with that. And some of those experiences that I had after my dad died, I saw beings of light and I may have been him. Uh, one of my biggest experiences that I had was here in Florida something told me to go outside and look towards my house. I came outside, turned towards my house and saw two beings of light as if they'd been in my house and went straight up into the heavens. And I don't know if they were angels, people, maybe it was my dad, I thought, but I've been having these experiences. And here we are at year 17 with a uh, Neil Donald wash. And we've had, you know, Nuclear physicist Stanton Friedman on about UFOs. Uh, Robert Salas, uh, Air Force pilot Robert Salas, who reported UFOs coming to uh, his silos at the, the base he was at. He's still enlisted and put out a whole book about this, Captain uh, Robert Salas, about UFOs shutting down uh, nuclear silos. And he's still enlisted. So obviously, probably got permission to do this book. But basically all these experiences with my dad dying and that trauma, and I think trauma brings on experiences and it grew to doing the show. And here we are. And uh, that's why I like uh, God talk so much because right now things feel really crazy in the world. Like I don't know if they're shooting us foreign nations with lasers to manipulate our emotions, but things just feel crazy like on so many different levels of discomfort. So it's good to, Neil, that you wrote this book. I know it's your 40th book, but I'm glad to do a positive show because these kind of stories help people. And lately, a lot of people need that help. So, what can you tell us about this book and your 40th being your 40th book?
1: Well, it's my attempt to uh, help people to realize how they can have their own deep and personal and very real and intimate connection with the divine. You know, what's interesting, Jeffrey, is that recent surveys by sociologists have uh, uh, shown that more than half the people in the world, actually 85% of the respondents uh, to a survey taken by sociologists have said that they believe in a higher power. So there doesn't seem to be too much question as to whether or not, uh, at least among most people, whether there's more going on here than meets the eye, whether there is a higher power, an entity or an essence, an essential essence that some people call God or Yahweh or Jehovah or Allah or whatever word it pleases them to use to refer to that ineffable essence. But while 85% of human beings questioned apparently believe in God, not very many people think that God talks to them directly, or at least know that they wouldn't say it that way. They wouldn't, they wouldn't call it that. So, but my experience has been that. God is talking to everyone all the time. That that is, we are receiving information constantly from life, from God, from the divine essence, continually. But we're calling it something else. Most people wouldn't call it a conversation with God, because frankly, they don't want to be marginalized or ridiculed or made fun of. So nobody says, you know, well, God told me this morning, you know, this, this, or the other thing. So what they call it is, you know, who knows, women's intuition or an epiphany or a sudden insight, you know, whatever word it pleases to use uh, to get away from saying, I had a conversation with God. But we're all having the same experience all the time. And so this publisher called me. Normally, you know, as an author of, and I've written a few books, Jeffrey, normally I write a book and then I try to find a publisher who will uh, put it into print and distribute it, try to find a publisher. But in this case, the publisher called me and my phone rang one day about a year ago And uh, it was a publisher who said, would you write a book for us? First time I was ever offered an invitation by a publisher, sight unseen out of the blue, to write a book. I said, what what did you have in mind? And they said, we'd like you to write a book about how people could move closer to having the same experience that you claim to have had in in your life. How could the average person have their own conversation with God? I said, you know what? I'll be glad to share with you the process that seemed to work for me. So I wrote the book, and they titled it "God Talk." It's about how people can talk to God and how people can hear God talking back to them. So that's what the book is about. Thanks for asking the question.
0: And I've noticed, like uh, on Facebook, like sometimes me or uh, Christina, our friend, you know, will share something about God and. And then definitely if it has like something Christian on it, people will start going nuts under it. Like just, just be, you know, kind of rude. And I I mean, I understand being angry at that religion on some level. I get it because I mean, we have my my mom and sisters went through some abuse from a a family member that was a preacher. So I understand, you know, people being upset about religion. And then when I, I shared your stuff, you know, just positive. So that was a good, a good thing to see that, you know, when's it start and everybody's, you know, there was no adverse reaction. And I know one of the first things that God said to to you was, uh, you got me all wrong. And you've said that to, you know, to everybody on some level, how religion is kind of like, you you know, in Christianity, you know, when someone kills someone, God told them to do it. And then it's like on your level, God's kind of like, you know, maybe I didn't do that or I didn't do that. Not maybe. And uh, it's just interesting how man gets into the uh, they kind of abuse it on some level and use it for their own. Like we just saw that Napoleon Ridley Scott movie. It's good for a watch. I wouldn't watch it again anytime. But some of these personalities get out there, you know, in the name of God and, you know, just. Conquer and kill like it's going on right now with Ukraine and all that situation. Uh, But if you could, what could you tell us a little bit about, like, you know, how people view God in a a negative light? And what has God said about that on some level when it comes to you got me wrong?
1: I think it's important uh, to indicate that uh, I'm not a religion basher. That is, it's not my position that uh, the world's religions, and there are, 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 we're told, 4,223 religions now being practiced, not from the beginning of time, but being practiced in this very moment uh, on the planet Earth, over 4,200 religions. I'm not a religion basher. I'm not here saying that religions have everything wrong. The fact of the matter is, most of the world's religions hold a great deal of wisdom, wonderful insights lots of clarity, or they wouldn't have lasted as long as they've lasted. So that, but the challenge of religions as I see it is that number one, they do contain some mistakes in doctrine and dogma. Number two, they appear to me to be incomplete. That is, they don't have the whole story leading me to ask the question, is it possible, just possible that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life and about ourselves the understanding of which would change everything. So that's the question I started off in uh, in dealing with God. Let me explain if I could in just a second or two how it came to pass that I had that experience. I was moving through a very difficult time in my life. You talked about the difficult challenges in your life at the age of 17, 19, and so forth. I had some difficult challenges as well, but they came in my life a little bit later I'm not sure whether it's better earlier or better later, but in me, I led a pretty smooth life until I was around 45 or 48 years old. And then suddenly, uh, Jeffrey, everything began falling apart. I lost my relationship with my wife. We we parted amicably, it wasn't a bitter parting, but we agreed that it just wasn't working, we probably should live apart, fair enough. But five days later, I lost my job. I was a radio talk show host on a national syndication, and the corporation was losing money and they had to lose some overhead, and so I was the last person hired, so I had no seniority, last in, first out. And, you know, the the boss even said, the program director said, you know, I hate to lose you because you're one of our better guys, but, you know, seniority rules the the roost, and so I got to let you go. I lost my relationship and lost my job all within a five-day period, but that wasn't enough. Uh, Jeffrey, the universe had a triple whammy in store for me. I'm driving to a, an appointment for a, a, a job interview. I'm sure I'm going to get this job because I've got all the, all the qualifications. On the way to the job interview, an elderly gentleman turns left in front of me, makes a left turn, smacked right into my car, and it wasn't a fender bender. He totaled my car, and I wound up with a broken neck. I wind up being raced to the hospital. They get me over there, and I will never forget the wording of the hospital examination form, it said I had suffered an avulsion fracture of the seventh cervical vertebrae posteriorly, but a a, a, a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture. Jeffrey, a three-quarter inch break in your neck, we're not talking about a hairline fracture, we're talking about a break in your neck large enough to put a pencil through And when I woke up from the anesthesia, the doctor leaned over the table and and they put put stuff in to close up the gap in my neck. But the guy said to me, you know what? I've been doing this kind of work for a long time. 95% of the people who come in here with a break that severe in their neck die if they don't die instantly because of spinal cord complications. But you managed to survive. Not only did you survive, Mr. Walsh, The others, the the 5% who don't survive such a severe accident are certainly usually paralyzed from the neck down. You suffered neither consequence. He leans over the table, Jeffrey, and he says to me, looking into my eyes, so what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Because you've been given an incredible once-in-a-lifetime gift. So I'm thinking, my golly, oh my gosh, so I go back to my little, you know, I, I, I had managed to find a little, uh, you know, one room apartment on top of somebody's garage, you know, just to get out of the house to give my soon to be former wife a, 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 a spatial break. So I'm living in this little one room apartment on top of a friend's garage. But I, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't figure out what's going on. So, and I, and I wound up, uh, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't give the guy the rent he was asking for. Finally, he said, hey, friend or not, I got to ask you to leave. But I'm used as a source of income for our whole family. We have to ask you to leave. Now, Jeffrey, I'm living on the street. I have nowhere to go. I have no money. I have no job. I have no income. I've used up my savings. And I'm living on the sidewalk. That went on for a year of my life. One year living on the sidewalk, sleeping on the concrete, going from person to person, with my hand out asking if they had any loose change or anything they could spare so that I could eat that day. So I know what it's like to be out there going from person to person, begging for enough money to buy some food and trying to, you know, you, you never know what it's like to uh, losing your dignity, your human dignity until you've got to go into a restaurant and beg them to use the restroom because they see you coming in. You're obviously a street person. You don't look good. You don't smell good, obviously. And the manager comes right over to you. Please not here, not here. Please, please leave. Don't panhandle. I said, I didn't come here. I didn't come here to panhandle. Can I just use the restroom? You gotta beg a manager of a restaurant for a place to use the toilet. That's when you know you've lost every shred of human dignity that you once had. And I went through that. Finally, I got a little bit back on my feet and I'm now once again in a little apartment someplace. And I woke up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm sorry for such a long story, but I want people to understand where I'm I'm coming from. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning and I'm furious with life. I'm furious with God because I always believed there was some kind of a higher power. I'm not sure I knew much more about it, doctrinally speaking, but I knew there was more going on here than meets the eye. So I'm I'm sitting on, you know, this guy's secondhand sofa that he put in this little apartment and I'm writing an angry letter on a yellow legal pad that I had on the coffee table. I'm writing an angry letter to God just to get it off my chest. What does it take to make life work? What have I done to deserve a life of such ongoing endless struggle? Tell me the rules. I remember writing that sentence specifically. Mm-hmm. Tell me the rules. I'll play I will play this silly game just play. I just tell me the rules. And don't change the rules after you give them to me. And now I hear a voice and I turn around. There's nobody in the room. I think, great. Now on top of everything else, I'm losing my mind. But the voice continued speaking to me in a kind, gentle way. Neil, Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions or are you just venting? I said, you think? (laughs) But if you have answers, I'd sure as hell like to know what they are. And the voice said to me, you are sure as hell about a lot of things, but wouldn't you rather be sure as heaven? And I'm thinking, all right, what's that supposed to mean? And then I received answers to all the questions I had written on that yellow legal pad. What is the purpose and point of life? What are the rules? How does it all work? And I received other answers as well that I never imagined could possibly be true. And that is what launched what I came to understand was my own personal interaction with the divine, my own, if you please, conversations with God. But here is how it became a book. Because I, I didn't sit down to write a book. I, it wasn't like I woke up one day and said, I think I'll write a book called Conversations with God. There's an idea. Why didn't I think of that? No, I never had that. I, I, I was having a personal spiritual experience. But in that experience, I was told, you will make of this one day a book and it will be accessed by many people. And I thought to myself, that's not gonna happen. Nobody's gonna write a book. I mean, nobody's gonna publish it. And, and what publisher is gonna say, hey, we got a guy here who's talking to God. We gotta get this book out right away. Hold the presses. No, it's not gonna happen. But in fact, a small publisher on the East Coast, You know, I sent it to four or five publishers just to see what would happen. I literally sent them my handwritten notes, I Xeroxed the notes, and sent them off to some publishers. And one publisher called me and said, hey, you know, we want to put this out. This is fascinating stuff. And I thought, you know what? thats a, I can't believe it. You're actually going to publish this book. A small publisher on the East Coast. They, but they put the book out. And I thought, okay, it's not going to sell 500 copies. And I was right. It didn't sell 500 copies. It sold 5 million in 37 languages. Not bragging, just saying. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
0: And, uh, of course, I've seen the movie. And when it comes to the process of writing your book, was it like a channeling or automatic writing, uh, like a like a super consciousness, like coming through? I mean, could you tell us a little bit like about that?
1: Yeah, you know, it wasn't like channeling, Jeffrey. Channeling, you know, the way people usually think of channeling is when your body is taken over by some other entity. I didn't experience that at all. And it wasn't automatic writing either. I mean, you know. It wasn't like something exterior to myself was controlling my hand and causing me to write certain things. It, it was simply a process of receiving thoughts in my mind. I was honestly, it, it felt like taking dictation. I would ask a question, and I began, of course, when I realized I had this incredible connection, I started asking questions about everything parenting, diet you know, sexuality, human relationships, uh, uh, finding right livelihood, a career that makes sense to my soul. I asked questions about everything and I would receive answers instantly. So I simply wrote down what I was hearing. It took. It felt like I was simply taking dictation. That's how it felt. That was the experience. And finally, I, I when I sent it off to a publisher and they decided to actually put it out, it shocked me. I couldn't believe it, but they did. And it wound up becoming, again, not bragging, just saying a global bestseller in 37 languages.
0: And when it comes to like uh, the horrors in the world, a lot of, I know humans like to blame God easily. We find ourselves doing it kind of like in a weird automatic kind of way. And I mean, there's part of me, you know, I mean, I like comic books. I'm like, I want God to just Superman up and go kick Putin's butt or whatever, you know. I guess, what are some of the messages about that? Like the people that just see, I mean, there's just so much, ugh, you can't blame God for it, but it's just trying to understand it and also not lose your connection with God or not blame God for it. Like recently I've had a boss do crazy stuff with financial stuff and he's very Christian and, you know, and uh, not, I was raised Christian. I, I still believe in, in Christ. And I've had those light being experiences. And I've said, you know, they obviously probably have a supervisor. Maybe it's Jesus Christ. <laughs> They're glowing. And uh, it's, it's interesting, too, the, the this company puts out a book on light beings. That was kind of cool to see, so I didn't feel as crazy. Uh, they also, the, your, this publisher has a whole book on that, so that was kind of cool to see. But when it comes to the horrors and, and still keeping that God connection and not blaming God for all the crap in the world, what, what could you give us advice on that?
1: Well, I ask God, you know, if, if, if you really are God, if you really are, you know, the highest entity in the universe, the higher power, so to speak, Why don't you just stop what's going on on earth? Why don't you just change things? What are you doing? You're just sitting around watching, you know, the world fall apart. Do something for God's sake. You should excuse the pun. And (laughs) and God made it very clear to me. God said, Neil, it's not my intention to turn you into minions, to turn the entire human species into just a, a race of minions who just do what I say, you know, follow the orders, uh, and and then I'll be good to you. You know, my love for you is not transactional. You give me what I want, what I demand, what I command, and then I'll give you you know what I can do to make life work better on earth. That's that wasn't my intention. My intention was to create a species, not just your species, incidentally, but sentient beings throughout the cosmos. My intention was to create sentience throughout the cosmos and provide them with the power to create their own reality. Therefore, the reason that I don't come in and intervene and stop the world from destroying itself is that I've given you free will, the greatest gift you could give to any sentient being anywhere. That is the ability and the will to determine how it is you want to experience your life. And that's why life is the way you're experiencing it, because that's what you've decided to do. You, and you don't seem to be able to get away from making decisions that are clearly and obviously self-destructive. And I asked God, OK, why? Why? I mean, why don't we wake up? Why would we make such crazy decisions as a group? We, we, you know, we've had armed conflict, just to use one example, Jeffrey. We've had armed conflict on this planet for all but 3% of recorded history. So I said to God, you know, what's up around that? I get that you don't want to give us orders and and have us be a civilization of minions, fair enough, but why don't we, what, what would it take for us to wake up to evolve and stop, you know, doing what we're doing to ourselves? And God said, the challenge, Neil, is that most human beings don't know who they really are. You have no idea who you are, where you are, why you are, where you are and what to do about that. You think that you're your body you think that you are your mind. You really think that the human being you're seeing in the mirror is who you are. But those few among you, that is relatively speaking on a percentage basis, not numerically few, it's millions, but compared to the 8 billion people on the earth, those of you who know who you are, that you are actually a spiritual entity, that you are a spiritual being using your body and using your mind as tools with which to complete the agenda of your soul, Those of you who know who you are have found the key to creating the experience that you wish to create. Therefore, the process of your continuing evolution as a civilization is to spread the word about that, to share it with as many people as possible. Why do you suppose I've given you this book? And that's what she said to me. And she was very clear when he made his pronouncements in what I have come to call my conversations with God. So the challenge for us is to wake up and to become clear about why we're here and what our purpose being on Earth is and whether we're serving our purpose by doing the kinds of things that are happening in Ukraine and elsewhere around the planet. And not just the wars and conflicts, bad enough, but the economic disasters we've created and the emotional disasters we've created, the racial implications, the, the racial strife we've seen on this planet for hundreds and hundreds of years. We, we just can't seem to get anything right. None of our systems, Jeffrey, are working. Our political systems are not working to do what they were apparently designed to do help us to get along and cooperate with each other. Our economic systems are not working to provide equal opportunity for as many people as possible. Our social systems are not working to find a way to help us to agree with each other and to disagree agreeably. And our spiritual systems, of course, have not worked from the very beginning to help us get closer to God and to love each other more and more. They've done exactly the opposite. So we have systems on the planet that need to be revamped completely with a brand new idea about who we are, who God is, and what is the actual function and purpose of human mind.
0: Definitely. and. And I've seen these light beings. I've I've, I've wondered if there are souls, like if it's a, we're like have these kind of like light bodies. And I know they talk about that in shamanism a lot. And I've noticed, you know, weird. I've had some weird spiritual experiences with the sun. That that kind of seems like a divine manifestation of God on some level. I'm not going to say it's completely the sun is God because you know with science and gases and all that stuff. But it's definitely something weird that I think our souls are connected to and these light beings and things like that. And what I've wondered too, yeah, with your, with the experiences you've had, has anything visually ever came up like paranormal or spiritual that you've seen, or is it always within?
1: I can't, I can't say that I have seen anything that we would describe as paranormal, but it it has all been within. Uh, but I, I have had uh, internal experiences that one would definitely describe as paranormal. But, but with regard to the, to the question of whether the sun is God or anything in particular is God, I was told that God is everything. That is, there is nothing that is not God. When, it, when, it, when people have said to me in a number of interviews through the years and in public meetings and lectures, somebody inevitably gets up at the back of the room and says, okay, okay, Mr. Walsh, what's your definition of God? What is God after all? And I say to them, you know, the very effort to try to define God limits the unlimited. There is nothing that is not God. Everything is the essential essence, the pure energy, if you please, of life itself that I call God, manifesting in a particular form. The question is, do we as sentient beings have the ability to impact, to affect the form in which the energy are energies are being manifest. And the answer is yes. Yes, we do have that ability. We're simply not using it to the degree that we might. But those who have used that ability to impact the form in which life's energy is manifesting have been called saints or sages or gurus or masters because they have, in fact, mastered the ability to formulate energy in the way that they choose to see it made manifest in their reality. And when it comes to God
0: talk, is there a particular story or a few that you'd like to share that in different ways that God comes through in those stories?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the publisher uh, co- who called me, as I mentioned a while ago, said we'd like to include some stories from other people. Because we don't want anyone to think, oh, Neil Donald Walsh is the guy to whom God talks. The fact is, God talks to everyone all the time, according to you. And we agree with you. So we put out out a call on the Internet. And we we, we literally invited people on the Internet. If you have ever had uh, an experience of what you would call divine intervention, please send us your story. And they said to me, they received hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of stories from people all over the world and they picked out six or seven of the most interesting stories and put them into the book. You know, I don't wanna necessarily give away what the, the plot line of those stories, but they are seven fascinating stories of other people proving the point that divine intervention is occurring in everyone's life all the time. And so, you know, Jeffrey, when you tell me some of the experiences that you've had in your life, turning around and looking at the house and and seeing those light beings and other experiences, uh, I'm not surprised at all, because all of us are experiencing moments of divine intervention. But most, I, most people, as I said earlier, are simply calling it something else. You know, uh, an, an amazing coincidence or a, a, an extraordinary, you know, uh, uh, event, a phenomenon of some kind. But in fact, it is, in my view, divine intervention life informing life about life through the process of life itself.
2: Hmm.
0: Anything you'd like to add, Wham, or do you want me
2: to
0: keep on?
1: Keep on. Okay, keep on. I was just hoping that, Wham, you'd just be a little bit more quiet, because if you've been bucking the heck out of me by yakking, 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 you just can't keep quiet. So please, (laughs) if you just go to the background, Wham, and stop taking so much of the program then we'd have Jeffrey would have a chance to say a little more of what he wants to say.
0: <laughs> yeah. She, she, she jumps in anytime. She's more for, uh, support for the second hour. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and I told her to get some topics ready for that for sure. But, uh, and as far as, uh, oh yeah, another book that this, the company puts out is shamanism. That's really cool. A lot of cool titles. I love that subject as well. That's one that's helped me a lot, you know, through the years too. just that, that ancient kind of knowledge. So when it comes to, uh, I mean, what kind of things are going through your mind lately with God and your 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 communications and connection, just with the way things are right now with everything in the world? Is there something in particular that's been on your mind more?
1: Yes. What can I do? You know what? What can we all do? Actually, is there anything that we can do, or is it a lost cause? I mean, you know, life on Earth, as we both looked at it here and you've described some of what you've been seeing yourself. Is there is there any point to even trying? Is there anything that an average person in life can do to impact the direction in which humanity seems to be moving? Is our movement towards self-destruction irrevocable or can we somehow do something about it? So that's where my mind has been. And I've been asking God that question. And God said to me, I gave you all the answers. And in, in, in Book Four, Conversations with God in Book Four, I was told directly that these, this point in time, these days and times are, are, offer us the best opportunity we've ever had as a civilization to evolve because we are seeing the opposite of who we choose to be rising up before us so dramatically, so um, powerfully that we can't ignore it anymore. We just can't look the other way and pretend that it's not true unless of course it's about climate change, then we can pretend that it's not true. We can look right in the face of climate change and say it's not true it's not true. they're, they're making it all up. the liberals are making all the whole story up about climate change. The climate is not changing. it's not so but but if it's but if it's you know about the political situation in the world or other aspects the economic collapse of half the half the countries of the world and all the other problems we see humanity facing, Uh, are there things that we can do? And it turns out that there are. And what we have to do is create critical mass. That is, put a new idea in the space about life, about God, about ourselves, and about who we are in relationship to each other. And having put that new idea in the space, then to move through life as a demonstration of what it is that we say we've come to understand clearly. So that's our chance, uh, our challenge, and that's our opportunity. And that's why I do programs like this. And by the way, without, you know, not just throwing roses at you, but I just want you to know, Jeffrey, that I see you doing that. I see you, in fact, putting ideas into space that challenge orthodoxy, that make us stop and think, you know, what if he's right? What if this is, what if even part of this is true? Is there more here to know? Is there something in fact that we do not fully understand about God, about life, and about ourselves, the understanding of which would change everything? So thank you, Jeffrey, for what you do and for having the courage to step out and to say, look, here are some new ideas, here are some new thoughts. Take them, we're leaving, but I'm not gonna be quiet about it. And then for moving through your life as a demonstration of what it is you've come to understand. Nice going. Nice going, Jeffrey.
0: Thank you. And uh, well, that's what the big part of the reason we're all here is I saw a bunch of weird stuff that I don't understand. And I've been trying to and part of that was weird UFO stuff and some weird beings that I still don't know what the heck they were. <laughs> They're weird. But one thing that's been interesting is how much this UFO subject has taken off in the media. It's like. The X-Files, like I try not to even watch the news that much, but I'll walk by my mom's TV and it's like all they're talking about on NBC and all this stuff. Like, it's crazy. They're releasing weird footage. There was some weird footage that uh, it's on a, a show called uh, Leak Project. And it's they got a, some weird like look like he said jellyfish mech suit over Iraq. And it may have been something military, but it was this weird thing that almost looked like a mechanical jellyfish like if it was from a gi joe cartoon but it was real footage of this thing that was just the weirdest looking thing and it was real like real footage over iraq and it was probably some weird military junk i mean or something like that but do you have any thoughts when you see all this ufo stuff in the media now i know you talk about other beings and s- stuff like that but what kind of goes through your head with seeing all we're being bombarded by the ufo stuff now
1: What goes through my head is what I was told in my conversations with God. There are what conversations with God defines as highly evolved beings. And uh, the acronym HEBS, H-E-B-S, is used throughout uh, the latter portion of the dialogue in CWG. So HEBS, highly evolved beings, if you please, do exist. I mean, obviously, mathematically, it would be impossible for them not to exist it's clear that there is intelligent life throughout the cosmos, perhaps not here on Earth, but there is intelligent life throughout the cosmos. And and uh, to be serious for a moment, there's no question that there are civilizations, entities, if you will, that are, in fact, highly evolved. Now, I'm clear, I'm convinced that those highly evolved beings are, in fact, visiting Earth. V- really, they're visiting the entire cosmos. They're exploring the entire universe, but those explorations include this planet. So have highly evolved beings, have visitors, if you please, aliens from other planets been visiting the Earth? Of course, and not just in the past two or three weeks, but from the beginning, from, from, from the outset, and their visits are increasing, however as they see our civilization, at least this is my understanding, as they see our civilization moving closer and closer to our own ultimate self-destruction, or if not self-destruction, certainly bringing an end to our present way of life where things would become so unpleasant. With, again, the climate change, just as one example, the climate crisis. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There is no such thing as a climate crisis. What's the matter with me? There's no such thing as a climate crisis. It's not going on. It's just the liberal Democrats who insist that there's a climate crisis. Uh. (laughs) So because so much is going on on the planet, so much that we are doing and so much that we are ignoring, that yes, I think that the visitors from other locations in the cosmos uh, are coming here with increasing uh, frequency And their purpose is twofold, I think, to to witness, number one, how civilizations can do themselves in if they're not careful. And number two, without directly interfering, but indirectly, perhaps influencing the um, movement, the evolution of our species, hopefully to bring an end to our own self-destructive behaviors. So they do so in, in many, many ways, in stories, that they may put on film or encourage filmmakers to put in in novels that they put into books in the teachings of some enlightened messengers and teachers throughout the world, uh, and and in programs such as the one you're doing right now. So you know I I do believe that highly evolved beings are assisting us in every way they can without violating the prime directive, and I think that the prime directive that's talked about in Star Trek. Happens to be actually operational in the universe, which is that no species is supposed to influence another species in a direct sense by changing the course of events, but but is allowed to perhaps produce ideas, thought streams, concepts, and levels of awareness that could assist a species in stopping its own self-annihilation.
0: Definitely. And not to get in this too heavily, but we've done shows on the whole Skinwalker Ranch thing. And there's a book by a guy named Chris Bledsoe called UFO of God. And it's in the Christian section on Amazon. If you ever get bored and want to be entertained, look at it, but it's pretty interesting. He claims he can summon uh UFOs and they seem kind of like light spears or something like that. But the book has like five stars and is doing well. But the Skinwalker Ranch show has all these government it's on the History Channel. There's one beyond Skinwalker Ranch and there's Skinwalker Ranch and there's obvious phenomenon going on at this ranch that's very weird, like a portal. Like they're always getting weird stuff there that's just crazy weird. But the but to close that part out because I don't want to get into it too heavily uh, there's all these military people there too like uh Colonel John Alexander and uh, Utah head whatever of governor like that's why that show's so weird that's the weirdest show on all this stuff that we're talking about that I've seen ever on TV that's just creepy because there's so many government spooks on it and then they're like really talking you know getting footage of crazy UFO stuff so it's definitely we've reached a, a crazy point in our history with all this stuff for sure. And the media and even that show, the last one ended saying there's a base there and they don't know if the government put it there underground or if aliens did. And they're sitting there with uh, former Robert Bigelow, uh, security, and he was someone that bought that ranch a long time ago and studied it for the government and stuff like that. But just basically, just things are definitely crazy when it comes to the UFO stuff lately, for sure. But uh, one I think thing- it's only,
1: you know, Jeffrey, to interrupt you, I think it's only a matter of time. I don't, I don't think I think it's inevitable. I think it's only a matter of time before the existence of so-called UFOs and what we call aliens. Uh, becomes widely known, widely accepted, widely embraced actually, uh, and widely experienced on this planet, just a matter of time. My hope is that we will get to that place sooner rather than later. Because the sooner we do, the faster will be our self healing, in my experience.
0: Yes. And uh, I've noticed that with people that I've interviewed that you've read, you know, like I've read your book since, you know, for a long time. And uh, I noticed like when you, you've immersed yourself with someone, then you interview them, you, you deal with more uh, nerves with that. And another person that I've, I've interviewed is Joe R. Lansdale, who I've read since like elementary school that writes a lot of fiction. But I was curious when you get bombarded with anxiety and stuff like that. Is there anything you do to try to deal with it on some level? Like anything, any, any process you go through to get rid of it? Or I know there's one thing I've, I've seen that little only little prayer you need where you can ask God to like transform your anxiety and negativity into something positive that helps, but it still seems like it comes back eventually on some level.
1: Well, you know, Jeffrey, this is going to sound terribly arrogant and I, I hope it doesn't come off that way, but honestly, and truly, I don't experience moments of great anxiety anymore, not since my conversations with God experience. I did for the first 50 years of my life, no question about that. But since the conversations with God encountered, I can't honestly say that I experience, you know, moments of great, huge anxiety. I, I simply don't. So help me to understand the, the, the prayer that I say when I'm, I'm moving toward the edge of anxiety when I start becoming a little bit fearful or a little bit nervous about something, I I say my, my favorite prayer that God gave me and offered me to use. God, help me to understand that this problem has already been solved for me. And I've been saying that prayer consistently now for 30 years. I'll repeat it so people can write it down. Help me to understand, God, that this problem has already been solved for me. And you know what? I have to tell you something interesting, Jeffrey, we all we all face problems and challenges in our life. And I've faced many more even since the books came out, like all of us. But I have to tell you that of the of every 10 things that I worried about, numerically speaking, I'd be surprised if even one of the 10 actually came to pass. Usually eight or nine of the 10 never really occurred. Either the, the problems solved themselves, through a process that, that was a little bit sometimes mysterious and miraculous, or they were not problematical at all. And I was simply looking at them the wrong way. So I've come to the conclusion, I'm an older guy now, I'm not a young man, but at the age of 80, I've come to the conclusion that worry is simply prayer misdirected. So I simply don't allow myself to worry about very many things. Do I show concern? Yes. Concern and worry are two different energetics.
0: Definitely. I understand what you mean. I've, I've used the I am that I am too. That that helps on some level. And I know there was a Wayne Dyer, uh, like meditation with that one. That was pretty interesting and good to listen to. Uh, well, uh, we got about, let's see, about nine minutes. Is there any uh anything you'd like to share or anything uh, anything from God that you're feeling to share in the last nine minutes?
1: Well, there are two things I could share. Number one, I could share the six step process that allows people to have their own uh, conversation with God or move closer to it. Okay. step number one is possibility. We have to admit and acknowledge and embrace that it's possible to have a conversation with God, that God, that there is number one, possible. That, that it's possible that there is a, an entity called God and number 2 or an essential essence that we refer to as the highest power and number 2 we have to acknowledge that if there is a higher power that it uh, is possible that that higher power that source will communicate with all of us not not just with uh, you know the pope or the archbishop of canterbury or the chief ulama or the head rabbi or someone who's supposedly sacred and holy, but in fact would communicate with ordinary, everyday, average people. So that's step number two, which is worthiness. Step number one, possibility. Is it possible that God is talking to all of us all the time? Step number two, can I embrace the fact that I am worthy, just as worthy as the so-called sacred people, just as worthy as the so-called spiritual masters? just as worthy as anyone else on this planet to receive direct communication with God. So we need to embrace our own worthiness. Yes, I am worthy of God talking to me, and she's doing so all the time. Step number three, willingness. Once we decide that we are worthy, are we willing to actually receive communications directly from the divine? Or are we not willing to do so because we think it's either sacrilegious or blasphemy or heresy or whatever our religions have told us? Because religions have told us that it's not okay. It's not okay to walk around saying God talks to me directly. Religions tell us that's blasphemy, that's heresy. And in, by the way, in certain countries of the world, making such statements can get you into real trouble. A theological trouble and, and uh, political trouble as well. So we have to move into a place of willingness to receive conversations with God. Step number four, wakefulness, to stay awake, to allow ourselves to be aware when those communications are coming to us, because God communicates with us in a hundred different ways across a thousand moments in a million lifetimes, not just one way, not just like you know, whispering in your ear, if you please, but in many, many ways, uh, you know, a feeling we might have, uh, a sudden feeling that comes over us or or a vision that occurs to us or light beings that appear to be arising from our house and going up into the heavens or, or whatever the way might be. So stay awake. Don't fall asleep at the switch. Step number five, acceptance. Once you receive a direct communication from the divine, do not reject it and say, Ah, oh, it's just my imagination. That's just a coincidence. No, no, it didn't really... It's, it, it didn't really it, it have to be a communication from the divine. You know, it, it, don't 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 set it aside and pay no attention to it. Accept it for what it is and what it was. And step number six, discernment. To be able to discern the difference between communications from the highest power in the universe and information that's coming to us from the limited facility that we call the human mind. So those six steps are described in much greater detail with examples and so forth in the book titled God Talk. If people want to know more about how they can move closer to their own conversation with God, I do encourage them to obtain the book God Talk.
0: And yes, as experiences of humanity's connections with a higher power, common sentience and uh, sacred stories publishing And they have lots of interesting titles. Like I said, there's a shamanism one, a light being one. There's like one on ancestors and all kinds of stuff. So check that out. God Talk uh, is uh, Amazon and uh, you can find it most anywhere, I'm sure. Well, uh, Neil, it's been great. It's a pleasure to have you back on. And is there a website or uh, anything else? And uh, we appreciate it so much.
1: Yes, people can reach me if they want to stay connected to the messages of conversations with God at CWGConnect.com. They'll find me there, and I'm there every day, at a platform called Ask Neil, where you can ask me any question you want, and I'll give you a written response, usually within 24 hours and or less. And the final statement I'd like to offer is, the most important message I received in conversations with God. I said to God, what is it I don't understand? Just give it to me straight. And God said, Neil, it's really very simple. You think your life is about you. And your life has nothing to do with you. Your life is about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. But when you understand that that is what your life is really about, you will come across a larger universal understanding that, of course, what you do for another, you do for yourself. Because in the largest sense, in the universal sense, your life is about you for an astonishing reason. There's only one of us in the room.
0: Well, we appreciate it so much. Uh, thank you and uh, look forward to your future works and thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It's been a joy to be here with you and I appreciate the invitation. And once again, thank you for all that you're doing.
0: All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye for now. All right, everybody. You're listening to United Public Radio 107.7 FM New Orleans. And uh, sitting in here with the dogs, and luckily they haven't been having any uh gas attacks. That's good because man, I don't know what they do, but <laughs> to keep the, the white sage incense ready <laughs> for that. <laughs> but uh, what, what a change of dialogue!
2: <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: but uh, I know he's even brought up uh, uh, Seth and and something i think there was something in he's been in documentaries where they brought up that kind of stuff so the secret and different things like that and stuff uh but definitely uh man united public radio 107.7 fm new orleans and yeah that storm did come through here that was freaking nuts i liked it on some level but others were like didn't
2: well you know those storms are always a little scary You know, we get nor'easters here and, uh, at this time of year, they should be giving us, sending us snow and we did get some snow. Um, I guess it was, um, last, um, last weekend, Sunday, Saturday into Sunday, we did get like we got almost a foot of snow here, but, um. You know three days later um it was 50 degrees and we were getting rain and that should have been another snowstorm so yeah climate change so we're you know we're having f- flooding and it's uh it's very strange very strange weather i'm sorry i'm tired
0: It's okay. I understand (laughs) my mom and Christina went to Panama city beach till Sunday on the beach, a hotel hotel deal. So we have an RV and uh, everything always leads back to the poop highway. Mice for some reason have gotten in it and I had to clean it out and the mice, there's a field behind here and the mice situation They barely get into the main house, but they get into this building, and then the RV, and they're vindictive little butt heads. Like
2: They'll go, mice will get into everything.
0: They're evil.
2: They'll eat, and they'll poop. They, They eat, poop, and pee. That's what they do.
0: They will ruin. They don't care. I swear they don't care. The weirdest thing is... They got into I don't like using that little green poison crap because I know it can hurt other animals, but I don't really know what else to do when it's that bad. And it's almost like you just it's better off just to not put anything there for them because they break into the bags of that stuff and eat it like suicide kamikaze Jim Jones mice.
2: That's pretty strange. And then what happens? Do they like die?
0: I I don't ever I rarely do I find a body but yeah that's what the neighbor yeah they if they ate it they're dead but I don't ever find it but they break into it and eat it it's like they're going crazy because the Earth's tilted or something <laughs> well, well
2: well they're hungry they're yeah they're there
0: starving there must be like thousands of them
2: yeah they probably way too many way too many
0: and then they till the fields and stuff and everything goes crazy and everything. And I guess that makes them go crazy. But the worst part is when they, you know, get stuff that like a book, like I've had some book casualties and that'll, I'll just be like, I'm going to get, I don't use that sticky paper stuff, but I'm like, should we put that in the RV around where they're coming? Like, I don't like that stuff. It's horrible, but it's like, what do you got to do?
2: They're yeah. Crazy. I know. I know. Crazy. I've lived in places where, There were lots of mice and you just have to, you know, the only thing that I was able to do in this one place where I lived was I had to just meticulously, I don't know if you can do it in a trailer because trailers are different, you know, than buildings. But the only thing I could do is I went with a friend and we went meticulously, like literally literally like inch by inch in each room to find each place where they were getting in. And we just like cocked were stopped up, you know, or, you know, found ways to block their ways of getting in. And then on top of that, I just took care of it. I just started house sitting cats. Didn't have a cat of my own at the time, but when people were out, you know, um, on vacation, they could bring their cat over. And so I just had this series of cats (laughs) and that sort of helped a little bit, you know, um, Keeping the mice down. It we're was just gonna, crazy.
0: I was gonna. We were gonna bring the cat into the RV and just let it be in there to put a scent in there a lot, but not leave it in there. But just like let it visit, yeah. put it around some and stuff like that. But uh, who did I get? I know I just sent you the schedule, and I just added uh, Penny Bradley, which is like some uh, secret space black ops lady that's been on really. Running. I just added that. I know you're there for that. I just wrote Andy and called him. He's going to pick a date soon. Uh, he asked for the date. So but February or March. I know I want to get uh, Bill and JC Couselis. Am I saying it right? Couselis. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's Bill and JC. They've been on and they're friends with Andy. They wrote it like a mothman. Uh I always have trouble with his name so he'll understand but I'm trying to get them on cuz they're doing more studies with trauma and paranormal stuff like the the trauma side of it and everything. And uh just trying to get people on. Things are weird with publishers like sometimes they just ignore you when you've worked with them for years. Nothing bad happened. They just I guess they decide they ain't doing it no more or whatever.
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard it's hard knowing what's going on.
0: Yeah, and sometimes they seem kind of cold. Like at least say something But uh So uh let's see Uh god I'm Trying to think uh We got Christina next week Then there's this Satanist dude The next week and then I know uh, uh
2: Satanist dude
0: Yeah he's only doing an hour I think he's a Satanist I know I think he is but I know he has a show and stuff and it's In California Uh
2: or is that that James Ash?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So who's who's going to be co-hosting?
0: That's uh, either I'm waiting to hear from Jay. He usually tells me and then Christina fills in too. But I don't really know yet. Uh, Jay's supposed to let me know what days he's off. Uh, he works so much he barely even gets a show lately. So I usually do that and I have different people that I can call upon from uh. uh wild trees to Bobby dizzle I haven't called on them in a while but uh, even Jeffrey Shanks that archaeologist friend of mine down here set in for Stephen flowers so uh, mostly I'm just waiting to see what Jay says about those dates for this schedule i suppose I wrote him recently so he should be letting me know but that's what that means but uh a lot of times I can just do it by myself too it's not that big of a deal and a lot of times uh, we get people in the chat room that will ask questions and talk and stuff like that. Now, tonight I would not want to do Neil Donald Walsh by myself. So I was glad you were here for it <laughs> regardless. Yeah,
2: well, yeah, I mean, see, I have I have a confession. I've never read one of those books.
0: Yeah, I figured I, you would.
2: I, I yeah. mean, it's and, and it's not. it's not that I just didn't, you know, I just, I wasn't drawn to them. And it's not that I disagree, actually, with anything that he said um, or find them objectionable in any form. Um, It's just that I just, I wasn't drawn to them at the time. And and I've never been particularly drawn to them. And I, so there was, I didn't feel like there was really anything that I could say. I figured that he would say all that needed to be said about them, you know.
0: That's what I figure. Plus it was an hour that goes by so fast. That's nothing, you know.
2: Well, but I and I and I know that you're kind of a fanboy. So
0: yeah, I, I know.
2: <laughs> so so you know, that's it's more important that you get something out of that. Um than me say anything. But you know, I didn't have any I didn't have any objection to anything he was saying. Um yeah.
0: It's it okay. went, by, went by quick too. like an hour does go by fast it's strange like it's weird because he has like 9 minute videos and it's a lot of info just like in something on YouTube that's 9 to 12 minutes but an hour I mean that if you saw an hour show that's a lot but a show on radio it seems like it goes by faster for some reason I don't well, know.
2: When, well when you're in the middle of it it does you know and and uh, you know and, and if if the show's going well you know, like the interview is going well or where the person who's talking is doing a good job of doing that, then yeah, it does seem to go fast.
0: Definitely. And, uh, so, uh, what's been going on? You've been reading anything good?
2: Well, um, I, I think that, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but I've been reading this massive book, um, the, the latest book by Maria, I, feel, I can't. I'm not going to say her name right because I can't say I it have right
0: now. Her Viking well, lady, right?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. She wrote the book "Seeds of Yggdrasil."
0: I have that one.
2: And this is her second book, and it's called "The Great Knowledge," um, um, "Vyl Kingi Stories of Sather and Initiation." And basically, uh-huh. what she's done is she's gone through. These are based on a, a, lo- a series of uh, presentations and Patreon things that she did. And it's it's massive. I mean, look how thick it is. But basically what she's done is she's gone through um, the literature, uh, not only Norse literature or Germanic literature, but um, about specifically, you know, for example, Stephen Flower, um, he wrote a short booklet on Sather in which he includes all of the of the accounts of Sather that you can find in the prose edda, the poetic edda, and the sagas. So it's just the Icelandic literature, basically. What she does is goes one better. She, she basically looks not only at obviously those, but at but I mean everybody who's ever looked at those accounts, especially in the sagas, will tell you that um, the description that is given of people who are of women who are doing this practice, um, they 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 are portrayed as being Finnish or Sami. That's the clothing that they have on. And so what she did was she um you know using current techniques of anthropology uh she went through and exhaustively went through all of the accounts um not only of i mean obviously of icelandic stuff but of in the last 500 years of people uh who have collected accounts of finnish people sami people of scandinavian people germanic people um all do, or Lithuanians, Latvians, everybody that's sort of in the northern European Baltic area, um, who were, were doing similar kinds of things, and what she's able to do is put together sort of a general understanding of what all of these folks were doing, because what she points out is that the first part of the book is is just a description of. Of the different ethnicities, the different types of people that live in the Arctic Circle, Baltic Sea region, um, and what she points out is that even though you have you know Germanic people and Slavic people and and you know Indo-Europeans and Uralic people, you know the Sami and the Finnish, you have all these different kinds of people. The fact is is that genetically, when you actually look at them genetically. You can't really tell the difference between these people too much, um, um, you know. You've got several different, you've got like four different language families and and a bunch of ethnicities and um, you know different identities, national identities. But these folks have been hanging out with each other and you know having sex with each other and eating eating each other's food for like you know two thousand years, and um, so they shared. A lot of the same practices and uh, and and she talks about the runes for example that the word rune even though we think of it as an indo-european rune an uh, indo-european word and that it you know most linguists identify it as that the fact is is that that rune also appears in the sami language and we really don't know exactly where it originated um so it's it's a fascinating book about um, kind of extending our understanding of what might be underst- about what we might think of as the Northern tradition, not just the Norse tradition, but sort of a, a larger tradition that encompassed, that the Norse tradition was a part of, that encompassed, uh, you know, the Arctic and North- and Northern Sea and Baltic Sea regions. So that's kind of, it's interesting because that's sort of the angle that I've been going in lately in my own life. And so the fact that she wrote this book about it is fascinating. The whole, the whole first 70 pages is about Sami stuff entirely. It's, it's about Sami shamanism.
0: Ooh, is it? How long has this book been out? This one,
2: uh, this one, it's been out. Um,
0: what year do you know?
2: Oh yeah. I'm going to look. It's really,
0: it's came out or
2: it to uh, I have to
0: get it because I have another one. I've only looked
2: through. It's 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 2022 or 2023. It's pretty recent.
0: I have the seeds one and I didn't read it yet, unfortunately, but it's very looks looks very cool. Yeah,
2: (laughs) no, and no, it's uh, I mean, literally, like what she basically, and by creating that context, then what she does when she starts talking about the runic stuff or the their stuff, the initiate. Because what she's trying to do ultimately is, sure. and, and this is kind of like what I got information on, sort of internal information on, and also was given information about the, this from my f- kind of oral information from my first uh, rune teacher, is, you know, if you think about the, the stories of Odin, you know, hanging from the tree and catching up the runes and everything, You know, there's a context, an initiatory context to that story that's missing. And she argues, and I've I've always argued this, it's always nice when you've, when I like, I've had an idea about something, but then somebody else comes along and says the same thing, but they have all of the evidence, you know what I mean? So that tells me that my intuition was good. Yeah. Um, But um Basically, um, the reason why, I mean, there's actually several stories of, of Odin's initiation, but the, but the reason why the one of him hanging on the tree was focused on is because it's the one that most resembled, and this is, this is only true in the Anglo-Saxon um, tradition, it most resembled that of Christ. So it could be used as a launching point for conversion. And that's that's what sort of has made it, um, you know, made it sort of be foregrounded in the literature. But it, there's obviously a context to it that's behind that story. And so that's what she's been trying to get to. And um, what, what what's interesting to me is that about I don't know it's, it was maybe about seven years ago. I had I was doing a vision quest, uh, doing a retreat, and part of what I got out of that were a series of very short auricular stories, where where Odin my connection to Odin was talking to me, and explaining to me like the, some of the context, some of that background to, to his story about hanging up in the tree. And I was given a series of stories about that, which kind of recast um, ways in which Odin has been seen. And um, so that he's much more similar. And then, and then later on, I came across Anglo-Saxon material that showed that some of those intuitions were correct. Um, but anyway, some of the stuff that she has in this book um, further validates some of that interior gnosis that I got. So that's part of the reason why I've been digging the book. you know i've been I've yeah. been really I've been really sick, so I haven't been able to read I read like little chunks of it and then just sort of sit with it because there's a lot there. but um you know, um that this that, this is the book I've been sitting with lately, actually. Nice. Yeah. I have
0: that for my for my uh, collection for sure, so I have it. But uh, I I have a lot of Norse books. Some of them I've read, but I also have a lot of those like Norse like oracles and stuff. There's some really good ones out there. Like I have even some weird old ones that are kind of hard to find that are Norse that I've gotten from eBay and stuff like that. Collecting them, but yeah, I mean
2: a- another book that you you might find interesting. I know I've mentioned it before. Hold on, just a second.
0: Berserker,
2: berserker, berserker, and and this is actually for your 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 people too. Um, is this book right here? It's called Trolldom. Trolldom spells and methods of the Norse folk magic tradition. Now, there's there are two books named Trol. There are two books called Trolldom. This is the one to get. The one by Johannes Bjorn Gerbeck. There's another one by some chick named Maria Sylvia, and it's crap. It's just crap. It's terrible. But get this one, Trolldom. What oh, it is, D? Troll,
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, Troll and D O M, Trolldom. And this book is basically what it is. is It's a it's an outline of uh, folk. It's 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 out of the uh, mostly. It's mostly Norwegian. Okay. But there is some Swedish stuff in it, but it's mostly Norwegian. But it's got all of this um, terminology in it. It's like a spell book. And it's all very and it's very traditional. Um, It dates, I mean, the stuff but the stuff in it is old. It dates from the the Middle Ages up through the mid-20th century and um, all kinds of uh, spells. But it it,
0: it B.J.? O r n Bjorn like that. That's yeah Bjorn
2: Bjorn Johannes Bjorn Gerbeck Gerbeck Gerbeck
0: B j o r n though. Yeah
2: yeah Bjorn.
0: That's enough to find it. That's I put trolled in that Bjorn. (laughs) That's that sounds awesome though. I'll definitely no it's
2: it's and it's got I mean for people who are looking for like the real Norse stuff, and this and this book is so similar to the kinds of stuff that that like my first rune teacher was telling me about very similar kind of approach. The terminology was a little different because it was in a different language, but um, the, the <coughs> word, the word trolldom comes from, well, it comes from that's a, the the current term for the you're in old Norse with the term Jotner, which means giants. And so the idea behind this is that um, this, this magic, this magic is is old wisdom that is based on the wisdom that giants the old the old primal forces of nature control and uh, and that's um, so in a, so that's kind of like you know there's the story of uh, of uh, Odin, another an initiation story where, you don't really get the whole the whole story. You just get a little of it. Where he goes to this this well, where there's this giant named Mimur who lives underneath the well, and and uh, Odin gives his eye uh, in order to have some of the wisdom that Mimur can bestow upon him, and uh, so Mimur So the giants are understood to be sort of a source. Of this of this knowledge, um, but this book has great terminology in it. It's got like all the. I love the, it.
0: I love it already.
2: It's got all the categories, all the categories of magic, uh, like um, there there the categories of divination. Uh, there's t dur and spatum, um, then the the various types of spells. Um, the Bota, uh, that's the category of curing, healing, and restoration spells. Um, formulas for love, sex, and relationships, um, and then there's a whole section, of course, on des- destructive spells. Um, what are
0: the spells like in it, though? Is it like grab a grab a piece of uh, oat and a piece of rose and a rat foot, or what, what so, Well,
2: so, well, some of them are, but some of them are um, like some of them are um, like, for example, here's a real good one. This is an example of. If you, this is, this is, if you're ha- having, if you're having trouble getting an erection.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness.
2: Okay. Um, I know. Um, and, and literally it, the it's, it's actually, um, this is a Finnish spell um, and, but it was spoken in Swedish and it made its way into this. So you can read it either in it's, that's got the Swedish here. Um, Or it's, it's got the, uh, or it's got the English, but what you do is you, um, you, uh, you, um, you don't have to do anything except you're speaking to your member, (laughs) you're speaking to your dick. And you say, yeah, you say up with your nose, cock, be horny, watch over hot springs, over hairy, narrow trows. Get in at midnight hours. Put the dick far in at night. Let it come by morning. And, and you're supposed to say that Fuck until out. until it works. <laughs> and and it's in 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 Swedish. It rhymes. I can't say it in Swedish because I don't know all the umlauts. But but it is rhymes.
0: Any, is there any necromancy in there?
2: Oh necromancy. yeah. Let's
0: see. Yeah. yeah, there is. Oh yeah, there is good necromancy.
2: There is necromancy. Um, there's uh, let me see here.
0: You ever seen those old uh, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings cartoons from like the 70s? I love those things, I could watch them like 40 million times. Like, there's a Ralph Bashy, Lord of the Rings, and then there's a Hobbit. But if you ever get a chance, they're like really good, with, like dwarfs and little people. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. Like, they're just like,
2: yeah,
0: greatest things ever. There's three of them, though. For the, those what,
2: are- what- well, and then there's what's really important in um in um and I remember this because my grandmother used to say stuff like this, although she used this is my maternal grandmother oh well, she used a different word because she was German and she wasn't norwegian, I mean norwegian or Swedish but and she so she used a different word, which I can't even remember now what it was, but one of the things that you're supposed to do especially if you live in the country is you're supposed to what they call set the tompty of the house and the tompty is like a house elf you know just like in Harry Potter it's a yeah. house elf. And so um, and the reason why you set up a, a tompty is um, so that your house is protected, but you have to feed the tompty every now and then or reset the tompty. Oh. but if you but if you don't have a tompty, then you have to um, you have to uh, you have to attract one. And one way you can attract a tomte. And this is also Finnish. This is a, from the Swedish-speaking par, part of Finland. On, a, on Christmas Eve night, you walk three times counterclockwise around the church and you will lead, lead, meet a little black man. And from him, you should ask for a tomte. The same can be done on a cemetery. And Then you take the tomte home and you set the tomte up. You have to feed the tomte. You usually give the tomte some kind of spirit. You know, like a uh, aquavit or rum, or you know something, uh, some kind of a, an aromatic spirit, and you feed it and you set it up in an important place in the house. And there's a whole there's a whole instructions in the book are the best places where to put your tomty. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, the best places to put them. And if your tomty starts acting up, how you can get rid of them?
0: What is a tomty? <laughs> it, it's
2: like a house elf.
0: Oh, it's interesting because recently me and Christina saw this movie called There's Something in the Barn and it's a horror movie. I believe they're in Sweden or Norway or something like that. But anyway, it's an elf, a barn elf, and right. it li- Family comes there. They're American. It's actually really funny and good because all of them look like those little yard gnomes. And there's like an army of them that attack this family. They're (laughs) they're beating up cars and getting crazy. And they all kind of look like the little, you know, yard gnomes that you see. But they're really, they look like little people playing the parts. I don't know if that's the case, but it looks like just little people with a look like Santa Claus is involved. But anyway, they upset it with christmas lights there was rules don't bright lights and no- noises and they started doing it right. and upset it and then somehow they were supposed to give it the, the little kid found out i was supposed to give him porch and it'll make it peaceful but the dad ate the porch so something and they, and they gave him some kind of crap food and he got worse and then the things just go crazy like the gremlins at this family right. it's actually really good it's called there's something in the barn <laughs> it was actually right. good.
2: <laughs> and well and yeah so it's like you can um you can get rid of an evil tomty um you, you you can buy him out you take three old coins uh the coins are tossed into the place where he is residing with the words here is your dissolution and then he is forced to, he is forced to leave so there are different things you can do and there's like healing stuff um healing stuff how to get somebody to fall in love with you. Um, Some of them are just really weird. Um, Like, uh, like uh, um, for love and for ruling the will of naked ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then there's like healing stuff. Uh, There's, there's how to turn the evil eye away, which is interesting. Um you know, um, it's awesome just, I it's get it? it's 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 really it's I mean, a lot of it is what's called blended troth, which is you know, some of, I mean, obviously people were influenced by Christianity, so you know, some of it has Christian stuff stuck into it. doesn't matter to me, that's fine. Um, you could you know the the basics of it are still are still good. I mean, and some of it you can't do, and some of it's gross. <laughs> you know, like you use urine, you urine or you know, like the bladder of a small bird, you know, or some some weird <laughs> crap crap like that, you know.
0: That's cool. I gotta I'll definitely uh that's that's a must have, it sounds like.
2: Oh, sure. it's I it's one of my favorite books. I just when I when I'm wanting something to just read, to just read weird crap, I just open it up and I Fred
0: Anderson. Uh, I wonder if Fred knows about that book. I'll have to tell him or you can. Yeah. Try to tell him about I told him about something there's something in the barn. He likes horror movies.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, I'm sure I mean I'm I, I know he knows a little bit about Troldom because he and uh he and Barbara and I talked about it. We had a conversation oh, okay. and we all and we all talked about it. But I, but I don't know if he knows about this particular book. He'd probably know about it in Swedish. Yeah. No.
0: It's on Amazon, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not one of those rare ones that costs
2: $200. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so.
0: Everything's just been crazy. This gets crazier. Crazier yeah. and crazier.
2: Yeah, it's been it's it's been pretty crazy. I mean... I kind of agreed, actually, with what what with, with what Walsh was saying about you know the only the only thing you can do because you know a lot, maybe about it was maybe about two months ago I had an interview with Leilani <coughs> it was and um, you know she was asking me the same question you know like what is it that we can do about all of and I was like you know all you can do is is do what you're doing the the problem with our situation right now is that we're right in the middle of it and when you're right in the middle of a situation you can't see your way out of it you, you, you we we and it's impossible to know like what what is actually going on all of the different things that are going on um you know be you know, people say, well, you know, but people are trying to do this. Well, yeah, of course they are. Everybody's trying to do everything right now. So it's like all of the possible energies, good and bad, are sort of up in the air. And and you just have to really believe in what you're doing and just really stick with that and not not allow yourself to get derailed too much. I mean, we all get derailed by some things but not allow yourself to get derailed too much by, by appearances. I think that that's the thing that for, that I have found useful, for example, in the Seth material and in, uh, and in A Course of Miracles. But one of the things that both of those teachings really emphasize is that we are trying to manifest stuff and we will manifest stuff. But a lot of the bullshit, I can say bullshit. A lot of the bullshit that we see is as as a result of everything that's come before, you know, coming up and suddenly presenting itself. And um, so it looks really bad. And if you believe that, that that's all that there is, then it could get even worse. But you have to believe beyond appearances that that what that the that the love and the light beings of light um all of that um that that is still true regardless of what it looks like and that isn't pollyanna it's it's actually it's actually hold hold holding on you know with your fingernails to the bare truth you know it's um it is going crazy, but you can't allow yourself to believe for a minute that that's the sum total of what it's going to be, because then it will be that. And I know that for myself, actually, because, um, you know, I mean, you know, a little bit of my story, Jeffrey, I've been through crap just like he was, through, went through crap. I, I, I've lost, you know, I've lost everything like like he described more than once in my life you know where you lose relationship job housing everything within a 48 hour period that's happened to me at least 3 times in my life and every and every time that happens it it's sort of like it's the reason is is because i really need to pay attention you know i've been holding on to stuff i'm a very stubborn person i don't move very easily And so I've had to get kicked around a lot and, um, you know, I've in the latter part of my life, I've learned that it isn't necessary for me to go through those huge crises like that, like I used to go through. It doesn't mean I still don't go through crises. I do, but, um, and we all will, but I, I don't have to, you know, and I can actually ask now the universe, God, whatever can ask now, you know, you don't need to pile it all on me i'll do let's just kind of do it as we go (laughs) along. you know what i mean it's like there's no necessity for me to have my ass kicked (laughs) anymore it's it's just i've just had my ass kicked enough you know um
0: definitely sometimes it, it can feel like like just something's after me or after us everyone like just some i don't and I'll try to get paranoid and say it's the devil. I mean, maybe that's something to it somewhere along the lines, but it's just like like the stuff with my job and things like that that are going on. It's just like it feels like something's just trying to pick away at you with different ways. Like, and it just
2: yeah. seems like well kind
0: of singled out sometimes. Well,
2: well, you're you're. I mean, you're obviously not singled out because everybody in your job is ex- probably experiencing this. Yeah. And from your and from your description part of the reason you're experiencing this is because even the people in charge are experiencing this. So you're, you, you all are sort of all experiencing it together. You know, um, you know what the, what the reason for that is, I don't know. That's something that, you know, you're all, you're all sort of participating together in that. Um, but um
0: and then it's like the old computer that I usually use for the show. The little adapter starts messing up. And I'm right. like, okay, that's great. Neil Donald wash this week, but luckily this computer I got it and just stuff like that. Little <laughs> pain in the ass things that seem like ah, you're targeted, but it's everyone, everyone goes through
2: it. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean in Sufism, we have this thing where um it's like um it's called it's well it's there are two names two names of Allah one is Kabed and one is basit. It means contraction and expansion. so it's like you know the world the world contracts and the world expands and the world contracts and the world expands you know li- like a heartbeat and um, when it contracts that's when you feel all of that that's when everything seems to be closing in on you and it's, you know, crunching you and things get very narrow and very intense and then it will expand again and open up. I mean, something happens. I mean, even in your own life, even though, you know, all these things are happening, the fact is, is that you're still keeping on somehow, (laughs) you know? I mean, Yeah. yeah, we would like it to be easier for you. Um, and maybe someday it will be but at least for now um you were able to get um you know kneel on and yeah. have a good conversation with him and I think he was very good, good and supportive of you
1: and, yeah, I, think that, cool. and I think and i
2: think and I think that that's important you know yeah.
0: and it's not to say he's God but I do believe he's a conduit for some kind of intelligence I mean the guy was like digging in dumpsters and then had this happen and now he's international. That's some kind of testimony that something, you know, jacked into something. But, uh, of course in miracles, you know, I've read a lot of that and that that's, I, I like it and I've done the prayers and it's been a while, but I need to, I know he's mentioned that book as well, but what I was going to ask you is, uh, it says it's channeled by Jesus. Do you think that with Course in Miracles? I mean, it's definitely it's like conversations with God. It's definitely something going on there, you know. Well,
2: it, well, it wasn't channeled, it was automatic writing. Okay. Um, and um the way in which Helen described her process was that um it was kind of like it was and, and her process was interesting. Apparently, and I don't remember like exactly when it happened, but apparently she had had sort of a crisis at work with one of her co-workers, a guy named Bill Whitfield or something like that. And um, they both independently, they, they, would, they would, she was an assistant professor at um, Columbia University In the psychiatry clinical psychiatry department, she was the only woman in that department. The only woman in that department for a very long time. She put up with a lot of crap uh, with guys in in that setting, and um, she. But she was involved in like clinical psychiatric research. It's a big part thing of what she did. So she was very intellectual, very analytical. And, um, she had, she was the type of person who just because of who she was, she's kind of neurotic. She would get involved in these little personality spats with people, you know, it was just kind of her thing. Well, she ended up getting in these, this personality spat with one of her coworkers who also happened to be someone that she did a lot of these studies with. He was a gay guy. And it just so happened, interestingly enough that the two of them had a particularly bad falling out one day and they both went home and had the same thought about it and that thought seemed to come from nowhere that thought was there's got to be a better way to do this kind of thing you know what I mean Than than constantly picking at each other and so they they reconnected and they shared with each other the fact that they had both had this insight. And so somehow, at some point, I don't remember the process now. I'd have to reread her biography um, that was written about her. But um, she began, she, she started, she always had this interesting sort of relationship with Jesus. Um, not that she was particularly Christian in her own life. Uh, but she had had a series of nannies when she was young and these a couple of these nannies i think one of them was like a southern baptist or something and they had sort of introduced her to, to religion and spirituality and she was always kind of interested in the personality of jesus in the image of jesus um not so but was not ever really she, i don't think she ever converted to anything because she, she flirted with agnosticism and atheism you know being an intellectual and a freudian much of her life so um, anyway um at one point she asked a question she kind of had an interior crisis and asked a question and these words started coming to her it was like a presence and she started just writing them down and what ended up happening with her was that it was like that discourse, whatever A Course in Miracles is, it was like that discourse was always there. She didn't always write it down, though. She would write it down until she got tired, and then she'd just put her pen down and walk away. And then the next time she decided to sit down and write, it would pick up right where it had left off. And it could be days that had passed between. And it would just pick up. So it was automatic writing is what it was. And uh, the 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 uh, copy, the sort of the official copy of the of a course in miracles, is not what is not exactly what was penned. Um, once her manuscript was finished, um, and there were a few corrections that were made, that were grammatical cor- corrections, where Jesus or whoever was talking did run on sentences, you know what I mean? And so they, they just sort of, you know, tried to make them a little bit more grammatically, you know, sound. Um, There were, there were, I don't, I don't know, like 50 copies or something of that particular version that were made and that were sent out to people. um, One of whom happened to be, whoever the son of, uh, Edgar Casey was, can't remember what his name was right off the bat. Um, but he was running that, um, the Edgar Casey ARE center at the time in the 1970s. And he received a copy of that version of A Course in Miracles. But what eventually ended up happening is that, um, the guy who became associated with sort of the, uh, the foundation of A Course in Miracles, Kenneth Wapnick. He was an individual who um, became acquainted with um, uh, Helen and Bill later on after the book was written and worked with Helen specifically to produce a copy of A Course in Miracles that from their perspective was more user-friendly. According to Helen, apparently, at least this is what Ken says or said, Ken has passed. But according to Helen, Jesus gave permission for these editi- these editorial changes to be made um, so that the book would be less tedious in some ways. The language would be more consistent. And, uh, um, and also gave her permission to give Ken Wapnick permission to kind of be the Guardian, if you will, of of the uh, of the official version of a course in miracles. Now there are people who disagree with that, and uh, you know the original version that was originally passed out has been republished and is published now. Uh, You can get it so that you can compare it, if you want to, to the you know the the uh, foundation version of a course in miracles and there was at some point a copyright fight about it and everything but the, but you know i don't really care um because th- that's why that's why it's called a course in miracles not the course in miracles <laughs> you know what i mean it, um, seems,
0: it seems like jesus to me it's pretty deep
2: <laughs> it is it is deep it is it's for you know it is for intellectuals I mean, and Kenneth Kenneth is, was pretty clear about that. Actually, he said that in his biography of uh, of uh, of Helen, which is called An Absence of Felicity, um, he says that because what's interesting about K- Helen, and and this was true of of, of uh, Jane Roberts of the Seth Material as well. What's interesting was always interesting to Kenneth about Helen. Was that Helen produced this text? This is what this bio, why this biography is called this. Um, Helen produced this text, but was never herself able to really benefit from it. Um, she never really. She was always a little outraged by it. There was a part of her that never really accepted that um, it, either its authorship or or the message in it. It just seemed too irrational to her. And so there was a part of her that was very, um, very um, torn about it. And when, um, you know, her in her later life, she died of pancreatic cancer. And mm-hmm. she died of a very painful pancreatic cancer after two, several years of suffering. I mean, seriously seriously suffering. And uh, she, you know, was pretty open about saying that she felt that probably this pancreatic cancer and her suffering was brought upon her, you know, she brought it uh, on it herself because she was never able to really benefit from this course, Uh, never able to really apply it to herself without skepticism. And Jane Roberts was the same way with her work You know, she produced this amazing body of work, incredibly creative human being, um, and yet was not able to really fully um, embrace it for herself. And, you know, she ended up uh, dying in a hospital after, you know, spending 500 days bedridden of rheumatoid arthritis a thyroid condition and honestly some undetermined things it, when you read the story of her death it's almost like there's a part of her that willed herself to die it's a very bizarre very bizarre death
0: I was uh, I was thinking of Wayne Dyer earlier are you familiar with him at all yeah
2: right right
0: He got leukemia and died and right and his, his books were pretty phenomenal and I mean, I've, I've right. saw it on PBS and stuff I was really like upset about that like he spent his whole life how to beat that kind of stuff and then you get the crap and you die
2: well well you know i've i've come to kind of think differently about what cancer is cancer is an overgrowth of cells you know it's 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 cells that decide that they aren't going to die in a regular fashion like cells are supposed to They, they just sort of go wild. And, um, I've, I kind of wonder whether people who, and, you know, who end up dying of certain types of cancers, they do so because, I mean, I think everybody has their own reason why they die of cancer. Everybody who dies of cancer, it's a private thing. You know, this is what the Seth material talks about, but like I had a Sufi teacher, um, in fact, her anniversary of her death was, was a couple days ago and uh, she died a couple years ago. And she was an incredibly um, transcendent human being. One of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. She was one of those people that, I don't know, there are people that you meet in your life that they just, there's this energy that just comes off of them, this power that comes out of them. And you know that they have something, you know what I mean? They, it's, it's, it's They've encountered something. They know. They know something. But she, um, so she was an incredibly advanced human being. But she developed, you know, one of those brain cancers that you can't uh-huh. heal. You know what I mean? That take over your brain and kill you. Ugh. And 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 uh, she she decided to regard it. She did. She did uh, an initial radiation treatment just to shrink it a little bit to give herself a little extra time because it was inoperable. And so the radiation was only going to like stave it off for a little bit. So she, uh, there were some affairs that she needed to get in order. There were some things that she wanted to finish. So she did get the radiation treatment so that it would give her a few more months so that she would be able to do that. And so she, so she spent, the last months of her life, the last eighteen months of her life, um, traveling, saying goodbye to people, saying goodbye to things, um, learning how to live with it, being very aware of what it was doing to her brain, what it was doing to her body, just and being very accepting of it, allowing it to happen, um, helping people, you know. Deal with it, you know, eventually it stole her ability to speak, wow. and um, you know, but she would still meditate with presence with people, and you know, it's and then towards the end, it got a little bit difficult because you know, the body doesn't want to let go, and um, so you know, w- the last few days were a little difficult just because of that, but. Yeah. Um, just because the body doesn't want to let go, but um, we all decided that part of the reason why she she had this particular thing happen is, and I think this is true for people with certain types of brain cancers, is that the fact is is that they've grown as much as they're going to grow right now in their physical body. Yes. And so, um, <clears throat> so, so something, so some part of self is gradually just going to take them out of that. You know what I mean? You know, a lot of times people get cancer in in places where um, they have unresolved issues. Like my father, um, he was just diagnosed. I don't know if I even told you this. My father, who of course I have not had contact with for, well, I did have some contact with him, I guess, in two thousand nineteen, but I haven't had sustained contact with him for thirty years. But he he has just been diagnosed with a terminal liver cancer. And they, and they, they, don't, they don't know how long will be, um, you know, he's refused treatment because it's terminal and he has so many other health problems that it just seems ridiculous to try yeah. to, you know, to try to, to push it out. And, uh, you know, so he's, he hasn't gone into hospice yet, but, um, you know, it's just a matter of time. But, you know, if you know Chinese medicine, you know, that the liver is the root of anger And my my father has so much un un, uh, unassimilated, undealt with anger, bitterness, resentment, Um, and it's come out in all kinds of ways in his in his religion, in the way that he's he's treated loved ones, Um, and and uh, now it's in his liver. And there you are. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I don't wish him. You know, I I don't wish him any suffering. And you know, he'll a go hard. to hospice when it's necessary. But, yeah,
0: you know, I know that that's a hard one with the past and everything with that for sure. With my cancer, it was weird because my neighbor behind me got testicular cancer, an older man, and then a lady down the street got some kind of cancer. So I wonder if it was some kind of environmental weirdness that,
2: yeah, it had- might be that too.
0: But yeah. definitely a, a horror show. <laughs> that's just just uh but that you gotta have grace when dealing with it. And that's probably one of my fears again, is it returning or something? So that's one I always deal with that sucks. But we gotta close out. Uh it's been great, wham, and everybody. I want to thank you for listening, to United Public Radio 107.7 FM New Orleans. Remember, we have a Facebook Church of Mabus group. You just put in the church, oh Church of Mabus. Uh, the Church of Mavis I think And then it like says paranormal Bigfoot Something but uh, Anyway if you want to rewind We had Neil Donald Wash On earlier and that was uh, God talk experiences Of humanity's connections <laughs> with a higher Power and then we had Norse creamy goodness And all kinds of other stuff Dick necromancy In the second hour so that was a great show, <laughs> yeah, it was. But, but thanks everybody for listening and, uh, we'll see you next Friday. Have a good weekend and stay safe out there from those, uh, Fimble winter Ragnarok storms. Good night, everybody. Thanks. Night. Everybody. Good night.